Well, uh, exciting to be with you today. And for those of you who are under 35, Kenny Loggins was a <laughs> 70s like musician and he actually got some play writing the Top Gun theme song back in 1983. So that's just to fill out a little bit. Hey, uh, we're starting a new series tonight. Before we today, before we do that, um, I want to do. Uh, I, I, there's an observation about our church. We are heavily, like, there is an, an unspoken bias that we don't like to talk about. And um, coming from the outside, I kind of want to name it. Um, we are very pro UC Berkeley. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this. I didn't ask you to, see, I didn't ask you to clap. So what I haven't told most of you, most of you don't know, is that um, I graduated from the University of Michigan, okay? <laughs> now, let me give you some background. I graduated from University of Michigan. I actually never attended class at University of Michigan. So what are, you, what are you talking about? So in the late 80s, when I was just a, a lad, I was dating a young woman who went to the University of Michigan. I was a pastor, one of my first jobs at a college in Michigan, and she was the youngest of eight where everybody in her family, her parents met at U of M, everybody went to University of Michigan. I had graduated college the year, year or so before, so when it came to graduation, there were no tickets. All the family had taken all of their allotted tickets. And so we devised a plan the day before. I knew I couldn't get into the graduation. So I went and spent $22 and got a cap and gown. And when everybody was lined up for tickets, they just let me walk right in. And I sat with the graduates. And I high five people I'd never met before. And at the end of the ceremony, I graduated from the University of Michigan. It is a lot easier to do that. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm like, um, in fact, my daughter in three weeks is graduating from college. And when I'm back in Nashville to attend her graduation, I just might pick up a PhD because <laughs> It's pretty, it's pretty efficient, right? Now, I say that offhand, but it's funny because when you actually, like, just in that college process, graduation means something because it costs you to do it. It financially costs us to do it. It takes our time. We always have that one, you always have one class, sometimes a few classes. Like, I knew at my college in Chicago, of my friends that were taking organic chemistry at Berkeley, and it was destroying them. I mean, I literally had, back in 1984, conversations with my friends on the phone going, I don't know if I can do this, right? I mean, it costs you to get through some of these classes. And the fact that none of you raised your eyebrows says you're not having an issue with organic chemistry. <laughs> that is worrisome. No, um, but... Um, we, but we, we do, we kind of know that anything in life we contend for, right? How many late nights, how many times do you have to study? How many times do you look at your friends and be like, oh, I, I, it's, this is killing me. What am I doing? Right? But you always have that bigger picture in mind, 
right? There's times that you look at your friends and you're, you know, that you're in school and you're struggling with a class and you look and you go, oh, C's get degrees. Just let's just keep going. I just have to get through this. Everything in our life that happens, almost everything we have to contend with for. And even though it was fun to graduate and walk through the ceremonies, um, if you don't have the late nights, if you don't have the relationships, if you don't have the struggle, that celebration really doesn't mean anything, right? It doesn't. And almost everything that, you know, I look around the room, I see all these people that I know that are talented in different areas, whether it's being musically gifted, whether it's being, you know, gifted within um, areas of profession, even many of us like, you know, with, with family matters, like, wow, what a, you know, we have to contend. Nobody, like you get to, like you graduate from high school, as parents, we have a completely different experience. Do you know why? Because we knew when you were two years old, we could not get you to sleep, right? And it's like, wait a minute, they're gonna make it. You, you walk through all of those times and it makes those celebration times really mean something, right? We're starting a series on what happens when we face the toughest things in our life. We've been looking at First Peter. And in 1 Peter, he talks, um, 1 Peter, we're going to lay out over the next five weeks, Pastor Ben and I are going to be talking, what do we do? What happens in our lives when we face trials, when we face suffering, when we face the hardest things, right? And let me tell you, it's just a lot easier to show up, you know, and get the diploma, but it's more difficult to go through that crucible of, of life. Let me pray as we start our time. Jesus, we thank you that uh, you show up in the good times and, this, and you actually are with us when things in life are hard and when trials in our life do not go away easily. Would you teach us over these next five weeks how we can continue to be transformed from inside by looking at your advice and walking closely with you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. So when we look, anytime we come to a new book, the first part of my time this morning, I want to talk about one of the most important places anytime we come to understanding scripture. And that is the word context. The number one thing, anytime you look at scriptures, understanding, understanding who was writing what they wrote, why they were writing it. If you just grab verses from scripture, you'll see it all over our world today. You can make scripture say just about anything, right? I mean, it's a big book. There's a lot in there. But when you understand the context of why the author was writing it, you ask that first most important question, what did this mean to the original people that heard it? What did that mean? I know a lot of friends who quote verses, and I'm like, if you know the context of that, you wouldn't be quoting that verse, right? And they sound great to us, but they're often not. My, I remember back when I first became a Christian, my youth pastor got a card, and it was for his birthday, and it had a verse on the inside. And the verse said, they rejoiced and gave gifts to each other. And he said, do you know what the context of this verse in Revelation is? 
It says this, when God's prophet, prophets come up against the Antichrist, the people killed God's prophets. And then they rejoiced and gave gifts to each other. You go, oh, no, that's not a verse you want to use as a positive thing, right? Now, that's an extreme example. Look it up, right? Um, so when we come to Peter, so the context is, is, context is really important. And um, in, in fact, most of the movies that we see, the people making them understand this, right? There's very, very few times when we go to a movie that we don't understand kind of a lot of what's going to happen before we hit the movie. Um, in 2005, Bob Iger, who just took over at Disney, he decreed that Disney, which used to make all different kinds of movies from all of its studios, would only be making franchise films connected to its properties that Disney owned, Marvel, Star Wars, and Pixar. And that strategy worked because, um, and it forced almost everybody else to play the same game and emulate it. It says, because with the events of the film tied to characters and stories that people already knew. And so we don't have nearly people, the movie industry um, outside of uh, over the last 20 years hasn't made as many movies. They've made fewer movies, but we almost always know. And that's why some of the superhero movies, they kind of introduce a character, then they get their own spinoff thing, right? Because you have to understand the context of, of it. In scripture, it's even more, it's even more important, right? So when we look at First Peter, we ask that question, what did it mean to the original hearers? What were, what were their background? Where were they from? Who wrote it? When did they write it? Why were they writing it? These are all, all, the, question, all the questions we have to answer. So for First Peter, when we go through that, the original, the original hearers, we see in First Peter when he introduces the, in the beginning of the uh, book, it says this, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the providence of Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Beautiful little poetic thing. But we see that it's basically what they call Asia, Asia Minor or Turkey. It was this whole, whole region that, and if we have the, if, um, if, if you can get, if you have the map. So it's this, this map that he's, that he's writing to. Now, the time that, that Peter's writing this is probably just a few years before he dies, probably in the early to mid-60s. So, so these churches were established on, most of them were established on Paul's first and second missionary journey. And the majority of people in this region were not Jewish by nature. The, church in, the churches closer, obviously, to Israel were so the people didn't have that Jewish background. And now we're two and three generations later. And the people in this area are facing real persecution. They're facing things that some, that some of the Jewish believers never faced. And Peter is writing them. Um, and so when we think of this, um, Peter, uh, Peter's writing it from actually, he's been arrested and taken to Rome, but Peter for most of his life was kind of the head, 
kind of the strong leader of the church in Jerusalem. Um, and then uh, we see what happens on Paul's missionary journeys. All of a sudden, people like you and me, Gentiles, become, come to the faith. And it's this amazing thing. So it spreads throughout this region, but now they're facing so many different things. You see, Christianity and Judaism are very different at this time in the world. They're different because they believe in one God where everyone else in every different flavor, if you would, the different beliefs, almost all of them believed in multiple gods. So to be somebody of a Judeo-Christian faith, it made you very strange and suspect. And then the way that most of the families in these areas and business was, um, you know, kind of done, it was, uh, many times it was done within these kind of family groups, right? If you were a doctor or a lawyer, it was, it was a pretty good chance that back in this day, that, that there was a family that paid for your education and you were like an endangered servant, if you would, a servant of them. They paid for your education. Now you're going to work for them within your specialty. And sometimes they would allow you to work outside benevolence wise to the other people in the community. Right? There was a lot of nuances of, of servanthood and, and slavery, but you kind of saw instead of, right, there weren't corporate, you know, there weren't corporate structures kind of back in the day. There were families, right, and extended families that ran, you know, different places, so uh, different um, uh, parts of the um, economy. And so based on that, they many times, this was, the big point, if this person, if the head of the family believed um, in a, a certain God, everybody that was serving him had to kind of face the same direction as them. You could see how this would be problematic if you were a Christian working for somebody that said, we, we need you to come and celebrate at this temple and look and face in this direction. Okay. Now, I wanted to go through that to give you an idea of everything we're going to be talking about is going to be in the next... Uh, five weeks is going to be based on that sort of mindset. People who love Jesus and at times are not just facing a world where they might disagree with them, they're in structures that are forcing them many times into, right, into situations where they're almost at times ungodly. What do we do? forcing them to sometimes worship and honor gods that they don't believe in, right? So the theme of Peter, we're going to see a couple different themes. The first one is this, is that he makes sure that they know, look, you are, you, you are going to face hard times. There is persecution, use the word suffering. Like this is part of the deal. We usually don't talk about this. Hey, you want to come to Jesus? Yeah, we guarantee one thing going to be a lot of suffering. You're like, really? You're like, oh yeah, tons, right? No, no, no. But this is a very real thing because of the world they're living in. And, 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 the, and here's the good news. He doesn't, he doesn't like just wash over it. He's like, this is really important for you to hear. Like you're facing hard times. God understands that. And so he's going to give us advice to what happens when you face hard times, when you face things in your life that just don't go away whether they're from an outside force or even in, in, you know, inside force, right? Something, something that we're doing. He constantly tells them to look back. This is just my words. You can read it. You probably come up with something better. 
he, he's constantly connecting these people, again, that aren't Jewish believers, but he's constantly connecting them to Israel's story. He's constantly telling them like the one thing in persecution, you have to remember what God has done. I know Pastor Calvin is so, so good at this. If you don't, if you're not remembering who God is, it's easy to get lost and and be overwhelmed by your current circumstances. And this is why God even names himself this. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He's telling him, remember the things I did for them? That's me. You have to anchor yourself in the history. So he's always telling them in hard times, you have to look back. And then the other thing he, he is going to, we're going to see it this morning. He's also through the book going to say, um, look forward. He's always reminding him of the big picture of your certain future, of your inheritance, that you're saved, right? That there is hope for you. Always look at the big picture of where you're heading. And the same thing, when things hit us, sometimes we can look down and say, how do I just get out of this circumstance? Rather than understand the bigger picture of where God is, is calling us to. And what the things that, the things that God has, has promised us. So those are going to be some, some of the pictures. So you'll see that through the, uh, the whole time is that he is using language. Um, he's using Old Testament language in these pictures, always to show us of the richness of God. When you're in hard times, what do you do? Where does your focus go? How do you frame that? Do you frame it as a small thing, as a big thing? Right? Do you become a victim? Do you blame others? Because I've never done any of those things, right? So... Um, and so in the first, we're going to go through uh, the, just the first few verses in Peter this morning. And it says this, Peter in, um, in uh, verses three through nine, he does this thing that's kind of like a sandwich, if you would, right? You know, the thing when, you know, especially if you have to tell somebody bad news, you tell them good news, then you kind of have the bad news and then you kind of tell them some good news, right? It's like, you know, you'd be like, hey, Pastor Eric, like if you were to tell me this this morning, You've got a lot of energy when you're up on stage, but I get a really bad headache when you speak on Sundays, but you know, we do like your wife, you know, so they, you know, you, <laughs> you kind of sandwich. Well, this is, this is actually a liter, it's actually a literary device that he uses. Um, and this is used all over the New Testament. It's almost like a mountain where they introduce something. And many times um, the, it's the middle, that's the point of emphasis. And that's what happens in these first few verses. So it kind of ramps up to, hey, there's these problems. Here's the problem. You know, there's, there's, um, there's, uh, there's a ramping up and down to kind of make the context, but there's a middle point. And if you go through a, many of the Old Testament books, they're written this way, where the middle, the middle is the emphasis. They don't emphasize it at the end, or sometimes when we write, we, you know, we, we lead with the headline, and then we explain the headline. Here, it's almost always in the middle. So this is what this is what First Peter um, chapter one three through nine says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus uh, from Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance and in, is keeping you uh, keeping uh, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is uh, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had suffering, uh, may have, have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that, uh, so that the proven genuine, uh, genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and, joy, and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so what he does at the start is this. He looks forward. He says, praise be to God. You have this great inheritance. Guys, you have this inheritance. Don't forget that you look forward. And then he gets to the main point, but, but right now you have grief for a little while. You are in tough times. All these churches he's heard that you are, so many of the believers, so many of the people are struggling with persecution, with suffering. And then he says, look at the end, verses seven, uh, seven through nine. He says, tough faith, equals a genuine faith that's refined like gold and ultimate joy. And so when you go through it, it will do something tremendous for you. But he kind of hits that. And even though it might feel like a little bit of, um, of a throwaway within, that, within this uh, section, it is absolutely the point. Guys, you have this inheritance. God is with you. And there's a little bit at the end where he's going, I am, he is proud of you. You've not seen him, but you believe in this. And ultimately, ultimately, the story is going to end well. So he's setting, the, uh, he's setting the stage. So let me just go through a few things that this, I think, sets the, sets the tone for, um, um, for what happens when we go through tough times. Because uh, um, tough times will equal a tough faith, a deep faith, a resilient faith. So when things come, there's nothing that can kind of uh, knock you, knock you off your mark. And the first thing is this, is that we need a bigger story. As God looks forward and back, and even Peter in these verses is looking towards your salvation. He's saying, you need a bigger story. You need to remember, um, you need to remember that, um, that you have, um, you have an inheritance. You need to really double down on the fact that you're saved you have a real relationship with God. Heaven is a real place. Now, sometimes we don't emphasize this. And many times within our Christian faith, if we're honest, we'd say, hey, look, do you believe in God? Are you going to heaven? All right, you're in the club. You're one of us. See you on the, you know, see you when we get there. And Peter's using this as a completely different motivation. Peter's motivation is to say to them, no, no, no. Always be thinking about your big picture not as a way for you to actually disengage from the world. And there's, through history, there have been Christians that have done that. We're just all going to separate ourselves out, and, but as a way to engage in those hard things in life. So it has the opposite effect when he's talking about this. We need the bigger picture, that we can actually stand up under trials and obey and do what God wants us to do, because we know at the end, there's not just a reward but that God is in it. 
so we don't have to push that off or blame other people or blame the world. So we always need, so Peter is emphasizing here, you always need that bigger picture. One of my favorite verses in Colossians, I quote it all the time, set your mind on the things above and not on the things of earth. God, what are you doing here? And many times the things we face in life, if we can step back and start to ask God that set of questions, many times we get that further perspective, right? We get the bigger and go, oh, you get, in other words, you get long, you get long in it. So not only do we need that bigger picture, we also need hard times. You're like, what? You are a terrible pastor. No, we need hard times, right? Um, I remember in college, I read the book by um, M. Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled. And right off the top in the first verse, he said something like this, just off the top of my head. He says, the avoidance of pain is the beginning of all neurosis. Or maybe he said at the beginning of all neurosis is the avoidance of pain. Not wanting to go through tough times, wanting to avoid it, always ends up in the worst things that happen to us in our life. It's always the beginning of all uh, the deepest fears that paralyze us, the things that will weigh us down. And that's why you always have these cliche, the best way, you know, the best way to go, you know, know, to, to attack it is to go through it, you know, not around it. And so much of our life and our spiritual life is having this mindset with God is that we need hard times. And when they come is to say, okay, father, you're in this. Because a couple of things happen when we go through hard times. Um, One is this, everything gets stripped away and it's just you and God. So God comes from being an idea to being very real. God loves to walk with us. You look at the garden, he walked with Adam. He walks with us when we face those hard things in our life. If you just show up and graduate, it's not the same, right? So part of our faith is we, when we hit those hard times, what do we do? We have to contend with God. And that's when he becomes real. I bet every person that you know in your life, that you, that you admire their faith, this is one of their secrets. They hit hard times and they go, God, what are you doing here? They double down in their faith. Um, You know, uh, last, uh, I think some of you know this, last uh, last fall we we found out my 82-year-old mom wanted to, um, uh, had uh, ovarian cancer. She had had to have an operation and uh, it was really difficult. She was having a hard time recovering. And then um, our doctors, right, our, the, the doctor that we had came to us and said, Here, here's what happens if she has chemotherapy, if she doesn't have chemotherapy. It was very stark, um, the contrast. My mom had no desire to go through chemotherapy. And so um, out of the blue, Dr. Tiffany Lucas called me up and she goes, what do you need? And I go, I need you just to wave a magic wand and get rid of my mom's cancer. No, it didn't work out. She goes, it's not my specialty, but she gave me a set of questions to ask the doctor. And what we found is that this protocol would have been harder, but there were some other uh, chemotherapy protocols, and they ended up doing these, that would be much less. My mother had neuropathy, you know, nerve pain. And she, was, she goes, I'd rather not live than have more nerve pain. And, um, and she said, okay, I'll try that. Went through 
went through the whole protocol and today is clear. I am so glad you didn't show up and get the, you just walked through the stage. I'm so glad you didn't, Tiffany. I told you yesterday I was going to tell you, right? How many articles did she have to read, right? How many books, how many classes did she have to go through and study, right? And synthesize all that together. We need people like that in our life, right? Especially when it comes to like you think about your family, you think about your friends, you think about the, the best things in life when it comes to our faith. When we go through, we need the hard times and we need to contend for our faith because when we do, it makes, um, it, there is a ripple effect into everybody else's life around you. And I need the same thing. I need people that don't blink when things go bad and they go, I'm with you. I've been through this, right? We need to contend for our faith. And the last thing it does, it, it really does. When we go through hard times, it moves us out of a transactional relationship with God. God goes from one dimensional to two dimensional to, you know, all of a sudden he becomes nuanced. You start to really feel the personality of God. Start to understand his words start to have weight in your life. Hard times, it's, I know it sounds strange. We need them as people of faith. In the last, uh, um, in the last one is um, we need, um, we all need a deep, resilient, tough faith, right? In, in fact, what Peter says at the end of this, he says, your faith is proven genuine. And then he says, you will receive honor. Sometimes we don't talk about that. But having that eternal perspective that one day, like, I remember the time, honestly, that you start having the eternal perspective. It's, would you lie if you knew that you were going to be found out? You know? Like, if I was talking to you and I, I, you know, you tell a little bit of a lie. Like, I tell you the half story. Yeah, I went to University of Michigan. And I back up. Like, what, God, what Jesus says is this. Everything, everything, every word that was spoken or not spoken will be made right. So even though we long for justice, God says, ultimately, he says, he is going to make everything right. Ultimately, every hard thing we do, God makes right. He just doesn't wave a magic wand over it and goes, ah, forget about it. You don't have to worry. That I believe that there's reconciliation on every level. And in the big picture in, 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 um, in heaven, that, that deep, resilient, tough faith that we need, he uses this picture of refining gold or like tempering steel. What does that do to make metal actually be something of a structure, right? You got to heat it up. And so God is going to allow us to walk through that because that's what makes, that's what actually makes us work. That's what makes things better in our life. That's what gives us strength. That's what gives us substance is when we walk through those times, right? So for years, I coached JV boys basketball. Nothing better than 14-year-old boys running around into each other, right? And you know a couple things by just a little bit of coaching. Sorry, Rick kind of oversubscribed to some basketball this morning. Um, is that uh, you don't get better playing bad teams, right? Like we were a junior high basketball. It's like we could have went and dominated all the seventh grade teams all over the county. In fact, probably in the Bay Area, right? It's not an accomplishment. 
you have to purposely schedule teams that are tougher. They show you your weaknesses, right? They actually humble you so that you're willing to learn, right? And then you actually, actually, you actually practice like the, the last, you know, all, all the time. You, you practice the end of the game when the games are close and things are on the line. You, you stress test your, your team all the time. God is no different with us. He, allowing, he lovingly allows us to hit hard things and he stands next to us. I'm never leaving you. The Lord's placed you in my hand and his hand's over you. Nothing can, there's no, nothing can separate you. I'm with you. And I'm not leaving your side in this, these tough things, in, in these tough times, right? He wants that kind of, that kind of relationship. I have a family member um, and they, um, their oldest child um, has, some, has some headwinds, has some struggles. And I was praying for them one time and God, in the same way, sort of gave me uh, this picture. So I went, I went to this person. I said, God is praying for you and God gave me something I want to share with you. And he said, what? I go, the, the child is not a problem to be solved. How do we get the specialist? Nothing. We don't actually think about it. God has allowed this hard thing to happen because he wants to walk with you through it. And it's going to be a lifelong deal. But don't, right? Don't look at it as just how do we solve the problem? And I've seen this working um, uh, with, um, actually with people with means. Sometimes I have enough stuff, I can throw some money at it. Let's just try to solve the problem. And emotionally, sometimes it's easier. It is. It's easier to distance myself from from a problem. And as Christians, this is never, this is never God's plan for us. He always says, he always says, walk with me through this. He always says, I'm with you in it. Right? James says this, James one, verse two, it says, consider it pure joys, my, uh, my brother and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. And so we're going to be continue to talk about that. But just as we end our time today, um, would you do something with me? Let's close our eyes and pray. Would you put your hands out in front of you like you're about to receive a gift? And then just... Uh, just for the next, you know, 30 seconds, what are the top two things in your life that concern you the most, that are on your mind and heart? Just sit with it. Let it clear and see what two things God brings to you. Father, over this next month, we want to give you the things that are really concern. The things that, uh, that trouble us. The things that um, we ask you why on. We ask that you would give us uh, your insight and your heart 
about how we can actually walk with you and be with you through these through the things that are hardest on our minds and our hearts and our souls. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. As Pastor Calvin comes to do communion, let me just leave you with one verse from John chapter nine. Um, disciples meet a man that's born blind and they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it something he did wrong or something his family did wrong? And Jesus' answer is, this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. So this week, whatever you're facing, this happened so God could come close to you and work in his life in such a way that you would say, wow, my faith is real. God is bigger than I thought he was. And that, um, that he really does, he really has the ability to meet every, every challenge that comes up. Thanks, Pastor.